there, my name is Hannah, my pronouns are they, them. Thank you so much for tuning in to a podcast on Queer Folk's favorite tunes. This is Queer Sounds. Um, I've had a lot of artists on this show. Um, I've had a lot of activists on the show, but not as many people who actually work in the music industry so this is a um, this is going to be an episode related to music but like from a more behind the scenes perspective because you know um, as you may or may not have noticed I've been working at a radio station for a while and I figured hey let's actually shine a light on what happens behind the music so to speak and like what what happens Behind those wonderful notes reaching your ears, there's a whole team of people doing different jobs. And one of those jobs is publisher, which brings me to today's guest. Hi there, Liv. How are you? Hi. Good. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm hanging in there. Um, I feel like I said the wrong thing, publisher instead of publicist, but I'm not entirely sure what the difference is. Let's... Um, Let's let's get that out of the way a little bit later in the episode as soon as we actually start talking about this. First, um, I wanted to uh, like just do something a little bit more casual um, because you sent me um, your the, the pictures that, that that go up with this episode and the most prominent thing on those pictures other than, you know, your face, is probably the hat. Which makes me think, um, are you a are, are, are you a big on fashion person? Because, to be honest, I'm more vain than I'd like to admit, but here I am admitting it anyway. How, how is that with you? Oh, 100%. Um, I think that's something that got developed during quarantine, um, was kind of developing a sense of style more. Um, and... I've always, I think, as a kid, been obsessed with hats, um, and as I've kind of developed my style, um, been wanting to kind of incorporate them more, so um, I'm a very big hat fan, as you can obviously tell. How would you describe your style? Um, probably more on the kind of masculine androgynous side, um, but I really do like to um, kind of play up feminine features sometimes. I uh, don't really think I have a specific way to describe it as like feminine or masculine, uh, but kind of playing with androgyny, I'd probably say is the easiest way to describe it. All right. Um, do you have a favorite piece of clothing? Oh, a hundred percent. It's definitely my suit. <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> nice. it's my black suit. I, I have one in uh, maroon as well, but my suits are my, my absolute favorite. If you're big on uh, suits and hats, where do you shop? Um, I get all of my suits from a brand called Sumisura. Um, and I get my hats, or the big brimmed hats are uh, from this brand out in Utah called Gigi Pip. So definitely recommend if you're looking for kind of more an edgier style or you're looking for uh, something that's a little bit more out there to kind of, you know, Check out tech, check out Gigi Pip if you want to get a very funky hat. Definitely recommend. Well, um, speaking of people who are definitely out there or were out there, I suppose, um, it's about time we get some music going on. Here's an oh so goddamn classic. It's so good. Uh, it's a Killer Queen by Queen. She keeps She says, just like Marie Antoinette, building a remedy for Chris John and Kennedy. Just like a baroness, little man trying to 
Released 1974, I think 1974 is an underrated year for music, but you know, um, I, I'm not entirely sure if people are inclined to agree or disagree with that. I just have very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Appreciation? <laughs> I feel like I'm emotion. yeah, like appreciation, like I'm emotionally connected to 1974 because my favorite album of all time was released that year. Um, but uh, how about you? About and with everything about Queen, uh, the, the, their great, great back catalog. Why specifically the track "Killer Queen"? So I have a very personal connection to Queen, specifically this track, um, because one of the things that a lot of people don't know about me is when I was a kid, I was a competitive cheerleader for a long time. And every year we had a different theme for our competition. And one year it was Queen. So all of our music um, that we did for our performance was kind of a mishmash of different tracks. And um, that Killer Queen was one of the tracks they used the most often. So they would get the most bits from that. Um, And my parents were really, really, really big into Queen when I was growing up too. So it's very uh, kind of close to my heart and very part of my childhood. So what came first there? Did you find out about Killer Queen specifically because your parents played it or during the competitive cheerleading? Um, it was definitely for my parents. Um, my parents are really big into, when I was growing up, uh, 70s rock, especially my dad. And uh, so I was kind of familiar, but when you're a kid, I think you don't really know the name of the artist. You don't know the names of the songs. You're just kind of like, oh, this is something that my parents are playing in the car. And I think I was in, I was about middle school when I started cheerleading. So when I heard the song, because um, I didn't put the association together when our coach was saying, oh, your theme is going to be queen for this year, that those were going to be the songs that my parents have been playing. So we actually listened to the track. I was like, oh, that's what my parents have been listening to. That's what I've been listening to in the car all these years. And I didn't understand why my parents were so excited that when they heard, oh, you're going to be, you know, performing Queen. I didn't really know who that was until I heard the track. So (laughs) it was it was really exciting for everybody. Mm, So um, when you when you're like competitive cheerleading, I bet uh, it also makes it difficult to listen to the that music uh, outside of the competition context because you know how because you would associate certain music with competition which makes it like more difficult to enjoy it is that something that you struggled with um I think it was kind of the opposite um I would be hearing the tracks play you know walking through the grocery store I'd maybe hear Queen and at that time um I I was so focused on cheerleading and the competition and performing that I would just be going through the routine in my head of just, you know, going through the counting and um, just kind of replaying the songs, even when they're not actually listening to it, just going over and over and over again, the routine, um, because it had to be perfect. (laughs) Sounds intense. It was, it was definitely intense. Um, But, and I was a really shy kid too. So um, my parents were kind of surprised that I had a, such a strong interest in cheerleading because you have to be very, like a lot of presence. You have to have a very strong facial features and you have to be very loud. So it was definitely something that pushed me outside of my comfort zone. And, um, it's, it's kind of weird thinking back that I, that was part of my life and it was a very big thing I was into. Um, but I'm very, very happy that I had that experience and I was able to do it. Are there, um, other songs from that era you would have considered selecting for today's show? Um, I think I would probably consider, honestly, anything from Boston. Um, my dad was a huge Boston fan. Um, and 
had more than a feeling on a loop. So I, and I'm from, I'm from Boston, but, um, the band has a very special place in my heart. Cause my dad actually, it was the first CD my dad ever gave me. Nice. Okay. So yeah. How did your taste in music develop, um, over time? Because Queen is a great starting point. Where, where did you go from there? Yeah. So, um, kind of my whole childhood was 60s, 70s, 80s rock. Um, my parents didn't really have us listen to the pop songs that were kind of coming out. So I was very kind of late in the game in knowing these very iconic songs from the 90s and even early 2000s. Um, so when I got to middle school, I felt like I was playing catch up musically of trying to kind of be more familiar with all these songs that all of my peers were very, very familiar with. Um, you know, artists like Britney Spears um, and even, you know, Justin Timberlake. But, you know, in high school, I think getting more into indie, all um, kind of hyper pop artists, um, I was really into Melanie Martinez when I was in high school. And then I was really, really into Marina and the Diamonds and now just going by Marina now. Um, and I think that definitely influenced um, the artists that I listen to now, kind of going from, you know, old school to this more kind of synthy sounds um, and also more kind of like alternative and uh, indie rock. Uh, at some point, you also made the active decision to, you know, go from, go beyond just listening to music and also work in the music industry. Is there a specific song that you associate with that decision? Um, the th song that comes to mind is a cover, actually, uh, from the first artist that I ever worked with and uh, one of my good friends uh, named uh, Alyssa, E-L-L-Y-S-A, you should definitely go check her out. Um, and so she covered Teenage Dirtbag. So we worked together on that release and, you know, coming up with working on a press plan. So um, every time I hear that song, it it makes me smile. Oh, that's so nice. That's so wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as someone who works in the music industry, I can only assume you have an above average interest in music. Is that also something that um, reflects on, for example, your living room? Like, do you have a big vinyl CD collection on display? Um, it's actually funny. I only own one vinyl. Um, oh, wow. And, but was, so when I was a junior in college, I was studying abroad in London and one of my all-time favorite bands uh, is a band called The Vaccines, and they were releasing an album while I was over there. And there was a really cool record shop that had this um, deal, I guess, with these different artists. So if an artist was coming out with an album, they would either have a signing there or they would have a kind of a mini show and then a signing. And the price of admission was just buying an album. Um, so I went to the show I bought a CD and then I bought a record. Um, I just basically got everything I could get my hands on um, and was able to see them perform in this really, really, really small uh, room. And I was maybe five feet away from them, which was really, really cool. Um, and then got to actually meet them and have them sign it. So I had to travel all the way back from London to uh, the U.S., so I just remember walking through the airport, holding this vinyl, just like making sure nothing happened to it, guarding it with my life. So it's my one and only, but it is uh, probably my most prized musical possession or most prized possession ever. All right. Yeah. M more about the vaccines later this show before we get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, why don't you have a bigger vinyl collection? Like, is that just something because that's not how you use music, not how you listen to music, or is it just a lack of personal interest in like physical objects? Um, I love the look, the sound and the aesthetic of vinyls. Um, I think that they're beautiful. However, um, I am also kind of a minimalist and trying to minimalize, uh, the amount of, physical objects that are in my apartment. Um, I also think that the digitalization of music has become, has obviously taken over physical copies and it's also made music a lot more accessible. So I kind of rationalized it of, okay, I'm, you know, paying for a streaming service. Um, 
so I can have access to all of these albums whenever I want and I can listen to them whenever I want. I guess it's kind of making sure that my apartment doesn't get too cluttered um, and then also not kind of paying for this music twice, if that makes sense, um, of having all of the albums at you know, the touch of my hand. Um, I'm also a very big headphones person. I like to listen to my music on my AirPods or my uh, over-ear headphones while I'm working. So just kind of having my music experience be something that is kind of private is also really important to me. Um, how was that when you were younger? Because, you know, um, with parents being into 70s rock i can imagine that also comes with like a large physical phys physical music collection uh, how uh, how was that situation with with queen and boston and everything else oh yeah um we had a ton of cds i remember um so vividly the i mean like the 90s and 2000s they had those kind of uh metal wire stacks that you could just put your cds in And my parents had so many albums. Um, and my dad actually had a pretty big vinyl collection. Uh, I always tried to find the record player he had in the attic, but I was never able to find it. But yeah, music was kind of this also kind of collective experience of listening. Um, so we'd all listen to something together. And I think it kind of moved into I wanted to have this shift of have a private listening experience just because I wanted to explore a lot more music that my parents um, or my family might not necessarily be interested in listening to. So I didn't want to subject them to listening to any genres or artists that they probably weren't interested in. Uh, I am trying to expand their musical horizons, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you trying to do that? Um, I mean, sharing the artists that I'm working with, uh, you know, sending them their work. And then also whenever, you know, I'm with them, just kind of taking over uh, the speaker and just playing playlist that I've made on Spotify and asking them like, oh, hey, like, you know, this is, you know, so-and-so, this artist, uh, what do you think? And kind of having that discussion. Have any success so far? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I think that I've uh, expanded their musical taste beyond 60s, 70s, 80s rock. So moved them more into a little bit more alternative um, music and more kind of like indie rock and soft rock. So I'm counting that as a win. Yeah, sure. Like you as a music industry professional, when you listen to music, what do you pay attention to? Like, are you a melody person? Are you a, a lyrics person? What what makes a song good for you? And what, what's the first thing you notice? That's such an interesting question because um, I've been, you know, kind of thinking about that and talking to other people in the music industry about it. Um, I think for me, it's, the lyrics are one of the most important things um, and the lyrics working in tandem with the sound um, and the beat kind of, you know, as collection working harmoniously or as an opposing force, I think is really, really interesting having that like really nice balance or having them contrast. How do you figure out something like that? Like how often do you listen for a track before you decide, Oh, I like this or no, I don't like this. I think I have to listen to it fully with my full attention two times through. So the first time is just getting introduced to it. And then the second time, I think I'm able to pick up on more things, but I need to sit down with no distractions and just listen um, at least two times, two times, potentially three, if I'm really trying to like dissect the track and it's kind of complicated. So, yeah. How do you figure out things like this? Like, um, I bet this requires a lot of trial and error and figuring out how to how to approach this. Um, I don't I don't want to I don't want to call it like this formula towards approaching music, but um, for the lack of the better word, you know, uh, like the way to. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm not entirely sure how to phrase this, but I feel like aren't you aren't you afraid that it will take the emotion out of music by structurally approaching it in a specific manner? Um, I think that if you have uh, you're you're kind of listening to it as like a layered experience, so listening to it the first time, kind of going into it, getting all of it at once, and then each time going through again, if you know, listening for particular things. Um, Because I think, you know, like emotion is one of the most important things in music because it fuels 
the song and how it was created and the meaning behind it and how it connects people together. Um, so I think just not kind of approaching it clinically of, okay, I'm listening for these technical things. Um, but having that first listening experience be kind of the all encompassing one of I'm getting everything together. And then after that, you know, going through bit by bit to listen to different, um, aspects. Yeah. So it's like the first listen to then the first listen through, you're just going for a vibe. And the, the second time you're looking for, you're looking into the details. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, well, I think it's about time we get some more music going in here. Queer Artist Spotlight, it's Tash Sultana, a track called Pretty Lady. Pretty I was supposed to see uh, Tash Sultana in the summer of 2020, but then, you know, obviously that got canceled. I wonder how often I've said that already, <laughs> like in the past two years. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I'm, I, uh, I, I feel like I've missed out by um, missing Tash Sultana there. Uh, but why did you select, uh, select them for your favorite queer artist today? Yeah, so I actually got introduced to them through my brother, who is also very, very into music. And uh, he's been out in California since I'd probably say 2017 or so for college. Um, he used to film school out there. And so he's kind of in this whole other um, music scene that I was not familiar with. So, um, you know, he started playing, I believe it was Jungle in the car with my family. And he turns to me and says that he's like, hey, uh, the artist is actually recording every single part of this song and looping it like they're they are doing this entirely by themselves. And Jungle is obviously a very technical song and has so many components that it just absolutely blew my mind. And then um, was very, very into the song. And obviously it was like, I need to get more. I need to learn more about this artist. Um, so then I found out that they were queer and I think that just kind of furthered my connection to them. And, um, I really like how they are an artist that kind of likes to be undefined. And it's also their queerness is something that is kind of, you know, not, it's not a huge deal. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm part of this community too. Um, and I think that having it be just something that you're that they're just kind of like yeah you know this is just a part of me um I don't know it's it's just really nice um to have that kind of seamless combination because um, I think that a lot of times people will just focus on oh this is a queer artist and this is how they've kind of it, this impacted their music but Tash is just very much like this is me take me as I am this is my music um, and I, I just really respect the hell out of them for that. Right. Yeah. It's also, I feel like Tash is like hard to pinpoint. Yeah, exactly. Because 
yeah no but if that's all that's all by by design right they're like they're they're they'll take every chance they get to like push um gender and queerness more to the sidelines and let the music do the talking um like for example um you would at least expect some pronouns in their twitter bio but they don't have that like to, to name like a very small small example um but on the other hand they do describe themselves as gender fluid and like their spotify about page um but um something that i noticed with uh tesh sultana is i don't know but you 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 and tesh give off like similar vibes and i'm not just saying that because tesh is also wearing a hat and their spotify artist you know picture but i don't know there is something about it that um that 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 makes me think you radiate similar energy um how, what what's your what's your take on that because i'm not entirely sure what to do with this information <laughs> well that is one of the greatest compliments i think i've ever been paid so thank you um wow that's yeah i'm i'm so flattered by that thank you um wow yeah i i guess the only thing i could say would just be um that i'd like to think that we're both just very much ourselves and very comfortable in uh kind of who we are and our queerness is something that is obviously a very big part of us um but it's not kind of the only way to be defined um if that if that makes sense right do you feel tash and you have like a similar queer experience or like a similar gender experience um just going off of vibes you don't need to know what their actual gender experience is just like what 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 do, what do you feel is the issue here in terms of vibes and expression i would probably say um just from an outside perspective probably very similar in the sense of uh kind of the way that we present ourselves to the world and i think it kind of goes back to that undefined uh kind of category that i think that they very strongly fit in um and i definitely feel that feeling of not wanting to be kind of put in a box of one or the other um and just not saying okay i i'm this i'm that i'm just i'm just happy to be here and i'm here <laughs> like the the deliberate um undefined and like staying away from labels is that um is that something because you haven't found a specific label you identify with or do you just not feel the need to define yourself in that sense or like that aspect of yourself i think i just don't feel the need to define myself in that way um i'm very comfortable with saying that i'm gay identify as gay lesbian whatever term works um but i'm just also just myself i'm very comfortable in who i am and um i think also having that idea that like queerness is a very big part of me but it's not the only part of me and um i don't feel the need to kind of define myself for others um how do you match that with the uh importance of representation especially in a field like um the music industry where the standard or at least the cliche standard whether or not it's like representative of the actual truth is like the the colonel tom parker type of cliche i think that it's important to see people represented in the industry especially the music industry um i just think that as long as the focus isn't solely on oh this is a queer artist we're only going to talk about their identity and part of the queer community and not talk at all about their work and all the amazing things that they've done um i think that it needs to be focusing on the artist as a whole and making sure that you know showing kids that hey this is somebody who is extremely talented and deserves a platform and deserves to be celebrated and we deserve to celebrate their identity and not just kind of 
making it tokenism of saying, oh, we have queer artists, but not actually getting to know them or getting to know more about them or their music or their work. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, right. So obviously the Colonel Tom Parker cliche is like of a different era. Uh, but I bet there are still people like that out there. Like when you interact with someone who is like the rich middle-aged white dude with a big fat cigar in his mouth, like how do, how do you how do you cope with types like those when you need to collaborate with them? Uh, in what way? Professionally. Um, I think just having a just general standard of professionalism um, and just keeping things very matter of fact um, and not really taking anything personally, I think is the biggest key. How do you prevent taking things personally? Because when you feel stuff, you feel stuff. Right. Um, and I think that's something that I've kind of had to perfect over the years and I'm still working on it. Um, I'm a sensitive person. Uh, if anybody's into astrology, I have cancer rising. Um, so I'm very sensitive. Um, and it's, especially uh queer issues are very sensitive to me um but i also grew up around a lot of people that were i don't want to say insensitive um but they weren't well versed in queer issues and said some unintentionally hurtful things so i've i know what it's like to be hurt by things and um take them personally i think that it's this development of building a thick skin and also this idea of if they don't know you personally don't take it personally which is very easy easy said very hard to do and I'm still working on it but I think that that experience of surrounding myself um you know as a kid with people that have said some things that have been hurtful is kind of taught me how to understand also that I don't think they understand what they're saying and they're not intending it to be hurtful. Obviously that doesn't matter your intent, but that's been very, very helpful with having me, I think kind of be able to build up that kind of wall in a sense. How do you um, deal with clients whose intentions don't necessarily align with you and your principles? Um, for example, you we we mentioned you mentioned tokenism earlier um where you don't necessarily want to um hyper fixate on someone's gender or sexuality as a marketing tool um but what if this specific queer artist was like yeah let's just focus on how fucking gay i am and put me into market that way um i mean again representation is important but obviously you need to talk about the music and it's not only about one part of you as a person. Um, and in the music industry, there are obviously categories from genres to artist sound. Um, and then there's these kind of micro niches within that um, with publications that want to focus on, you know, BIPOC artists or queer artists um, or, you know, women in music. So I think that as long as it's working in tandem with, an artist's music and they're saying, okay, yeah, I, I do identify as a queer artist. Um, let's talk about the music that I'm putting out and how that ties into, you know, queer identity and how that works um, to benefit this community. And let's talk about myself as an artist, not just as a gay person or a queer person. Um, and again, it's just more about you as an overall artist and not fixating on one aspect of who you are. How do you break it to someone when when they really want to like double down on how gay their music is and you don't really think it's a good idea? Uh, thankfully, I have not been in that situation yet. Um, but if um, I did have an artist I was working with and, you know, we were in that situation, kind of having a conversation of, you know, you are a human being who is a multifaceted person. There is not just one part of you that is all of you. Um, you know, we as people are made up of our collective experiences and there's many things that make up who we are. And we don't, you know, base an entire perception of someone or we shouldn't about one part of them. 
So I think music is about exploring parts of yourself as an artist um, and exploring emotions and feelings that have come up as a byproduct of your experience. And I think as long as you're not only going down one path of I only want to focus about this one thing, and that's going to help you in the long run in terms of making music and producing more, because you can only draw from one well so much until it dries up. In um, what context do you think um, queer or being queer as a marketing tool um, works better with that, for example, um, be in scenario A where someone is like, almost cliche level of extravagant with sunshine, glitter, pink and rainbows making a synth pop um, in, in that sense, you know, fitting the narrative or would that be in like a completely opposite scenario where someone is queer, they want to market themselves as queer, but they play in like some in, in, in like some thrash metal band because they're setting out to, to to add to representation like when would when would you think a marketing story like that works better in tandem with the music and from a marketing perspective um and i think it would be more advantageous to have more uh artists who kind of fall outside of this um i guess trope of you know uh someone who is very very queer doing um music that falls into kind of uh i'd say maybe like queer music i'm using air quotes uh in terms of like hyper pop um and kind of doing what is expected so for example if you're there's this you know heavy metal artist who is part of the community um i think that there's less focus on that there's less representation of um, you know, these hardcore metal artists being part of the community, because I think that it all goes back to metal being this quote unquote, more manly music. And it's kind of has toxic masculinity um, tied into aspects of that. So I think kind of challenging that of, you know, saying, hey, I like I'm yeah, I'm a queer artist, but I don't fit into this what you think I'm going to be. I'm not going to be making hyper pop music. Um, I'm going to be, you know, doing like screamo or something like that. How queer would you describe your, um, your own taste in music? Um, it's a good question. I would say it ranges from slightly queer to medium queer. Um, I was really, really into, um, I still, you know, love Tegan and Sarah, which, um, just makes me kind of laugh to myself um, because I would listen to a lot of their songs while I was driving my Subaru and I just felt very stereotypical, but it was great. Um, And um, I think that I gravitate more towards kind of indie artists um, like Vaccines, um, kind of Tame Impala, but I do have an appreciation for artists like Fletcher um, who are doing just really, really amazing things right now. Um, and then also, you know, Girl in Red, um, King Princess, like they've really been doing some amazing work um, and they've very heavily influenced um, this generation's queer experience and what it means specifically to be a queer woman. I'm glad you mentioned the vaccines. Let's go ahead and have a listen. Here is track number three for today, I Always Knew.
second track uh, today by an artist I was supposed to see at a festival. Um, this time I was there, could hear the vaccines playing in the distance, but the weather was shit, it was raining like hell, and I was like, you know what, I'll get another chance, and then the pandemic happened. Um, so yeah, no, but hey, twice an episode I missed an uh, I, I, I missed an artist I could have seen live. That must be a record. I'm not entirely sure. Um, uh, you, you already mentioned the amazing um, story of the in-store show uh, the vaccines played where you where you bought your vinyl. Is that also why you selected them for this episode? Um, I have a uh, kind of long history with the vaccines because I kind of credit them with um, my musical kind of development. Um, so, uh, like I said, I wasn't really as involved in music kind of growing up cause I was just kind of listening to what my parents, uh, were listening to and, you know, they didn't play current music. So I had never been to a concert before. And when I was a senior in high school, I was with some of my friends who were really, really into concerts and, uh, they were like, Hey, Boston calling is going to be coming up right after graduation do you want to go? And it was the first concert I ever went to, which was also like three day music festival. Um, at the time it was in a uh, government center. Now it's at Harvard and it's a lot bigger, but, uh, at that show was where I first saw the vaccines. And I just remember like having, I, I don't know if, pe if people can probably relate to this experience of going into a festival and seeing an artist for the first time that, you're not familiar with, but just feeling like they're, I don't know, the best way I could say it, touching their, your soul in some way um, with their music and afterwards being like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know who they were. I need to know, I need to know more. Um, and so that kind of set off a domino effect of loving going to concerts, trying to see as much live music as I can. Um, and they also have a pretty big role in, um, my relationship with my lovely girlfriend uh, when we first started talking uh, four and a half years ago. One of, I would say one of my love languages is music. I love making playlists and sending people music. So I sent her the vaccines and I wasn't really expecting her to really listen to them, to be honest. Um, and she texted me, you know, a few hours after I sent her uh, the playlist. And I remember her saying, oh my God, this is one of the greatest things anyone's ever shown me in my life. I cannot get enough of them. I've literally listened to them all day today. And then later she told me that, uh, she was like, yeah, I knew that, you know, I knew that you were something special because you sent me, uh, you sent me that band. And, uh, I actually got a signed CD when I went to that, um, show in London for her, for her birthday. So yeah. <laughs> Cute. And out of all of the special memories you've got um, surrounding the vaccines. Is there also a specific reason why you chose the track I Always Knew? Yes. Um, when I was in high school, I was very obsessed with Perks of Being a Wallflower. I was very angsty um, with my friends, and we were a little trio. And me and my good friend at the time, um, we would just drive around Boston at night we had nothing to do. We would just drive around and we had seen the movie a ton and we're talking about um, the David, David Bowie song, Heroes, how that was their tunnel song. So being the angsty teens that we were, we were saying, we need a tunnel song. And it was right before, um, you know, we we're going away to college. So I'd been listening to the vaccines after seeing them at Boston Calling and I heard this song and I remember listening to it for the first time in my car. And I turned to my friend and I said, this is our tunnel song. So we were just driving on the bridges in Boston to blasting. I always knew. Um, and then that song ended up becoming um, me and my girlfriend's song uh, that we share. And uh, yeah, and we actually were able to go to a very small show in Philly in the summer of 2018, I believe. And it was uh, Underground Arts, if anyone's familiar. It's a really, really small venue. Uh, it's really cool. And... It was such a great show, and we saw the opening act was uh, Ceramic Animal. Great, great band. Definitely recommend checking them out. Um, it was really cool. There was, a, like, a little after-party thing that I think we accidentally snuck into. 
and because I remember seeing ceramic animal was over there and we were like yeah I think that was the opening act and we were like you're probably not supposed to be here (laughs) does your work allow for more situations like that where you accidentally end up in like secret industry parties (laughs) uh thanks to covid not yet but I'm hoping uh to be able to get some more of those opportunities moving forward since things are hopefully knock on wood looking up i'm not jinxing anything um but it's great to see a return of live music so really hoping to you know be able to do that more in the future let's um get the question out of the way that's been on everyone's mind since the beginning of this very very episode what's what's a publicist what what do you do yeah so it's actually a very common question that I get asked. Um, so a publicist is essentially to kind of boil it down to the very basic definition, somebody who is in charge of generating press uh, for a specific project. So for an EP release, a single, um, an album, reaching out to different journalists, publications, and pitching their clients um, in addition to creating EPKs, which is electronic press kit. Um, creating press releases, working on artist bios, just kind of getting all of the marketing material ready to be sent over to different um, music outlets to have them featured. So how do you practically do that? Like an artist approaches you like, hey, Liv, can you help me get in touch with this and this magazine? And then you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Here's the bill. Or is it not that, that, that easy? So how it works is um, an artist will, you know, reach out to me saying that they have a specific project that's coming out um, and kind of working through their music, listening to the track or the album um, or the EP and kind of working through the genres that they fit in or, you know, the little subcategories in music that they fit in um, and then getting a link to the unreleased work to be able to send it out. So people can listen to it. Um, so when it actually drops, there's all these articles that are going to be able to come out, um, blog posts or, you know, playlist features. Um, if they have a very specific publication, uh, I definitely will look into that. But publicists have uh, what's known as a media list. So they have all these relationships with different blogs, magazines, journalists, writers, and just keeping a giant spreadsheet of, you know, the name of the journalist, their email address, the publication they write for, and then little notes of what genres they're looking for, what kind of artists they're looking to feature, if they have any specific requirements um, for submissions, or if they have any particulars that they're looking for. Um, So kind of building off of that, you know, going through that and seeing where that artist fits within those um, connections. So what about the, uh, the the mistake I made at the beginning of this episode? Like the when when I misspoke and I said publisher instead of publicist, like uh, or maybe it was not wasn't the other way around. Um, so what's uh, do people mix that up often? Like and what are what are the differences between the two? Um, as far as I can remember, um, I don't believe people have confused publisher and publicist um, too much just because the industries are just kind of different. Obviously, publishers within kind of books, obviously, publicists can work with um, authors who are releasing books and generate press that way. Um, But it's actually interesting when I was in college, and I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And I was an English major, I actually thought about going into publishing. And, uh, you know, kind of had some conversations with people about, you know, what it's like. And the more I kind of learned about it, I was thinking, yeah, maybe this is not for me. So uh, it's kind of funny that, you know, that was that was a career option I was actually looking into. Um, but ultimately, I'm very, very thankful and happy that I ended up in music. No, but I, um, I, I did like my minor in music marketing. And they also like this, this one uh, professor also kept talking about, you know, um, music publishers. So what the, for example, when talking about like who owns the rights to a certain part of the song, they always he always made us he really drilled that into us, artist, composer, publisher. Like, is that something that he just mistranslated, or am I am I am I remembering the wrong word? Um, I'm not super familiar with the like technical side of rights and ownership um, with 
the music industry. Um, I obviously am working on the PR side of that. Um, so he could have totally been right. Um, but I definitely have this association of publisher is like working exclusively in, uh, you know, the literature field. Um, but I love connecting with artists and kind of learning more about the technical side of, you know, learning how they're composing it. And then also learning about how the legality of everything works and who owns the music and how the rights are working and copyright and everything like that. You might just be, um, closer than we both realize with the book comparison, because, you know, back before, um, music carrying objects existed there, you know, sheet music needed to be published. So I'm guessing now, instead of publishing sheet music, it's the people who make sure that final exists for a certain artist. I'm not entirely sure. Um, so maybe publisher is just a different word for record label. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but let's keep that for a conversation for that's a conversation for another time. Um, cool. Um, have you also like done something weird or innovative or like, um, unexpected in order to give one of your clients, like the one, one of your artists, the, um, the, the, the public the publication they are, they're, they're looking for. Um, nothing is really coming to mind that is kind of, you know, out of left field. Um, I guess the only, in terms of the work that I do with my artists, uh, the ultimate goal is to generate press to, you know, increase those streaming numbers on Spotify, get those listeners up, um, and boost the overall brand recognition for the band or the artist, um, and just get more eyes and ears on their work what 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 just what's your ultimate goal in your career my ultimate goal in my career is to build uh just build more connections with more amazing artists i want to work with as many independent artists as possible um and eventually kind of build this up into a point where um you know it's not just a one person operation and um which increases you know the possibility of working with a lot of artists and ultimately I just want to help people in their music careers. But yeah, uh, on behalf of me and everyone who's been on the show, I'm glad to have connected. And when it comes to a network of cool queer people, welcome to the club. Before we wrap things up uh, there, we've got one more track to play. What do you, uh, what are your, what, what do you want to share about, uh, I can't read my own, Goddamn handwriting. What do you want to say about Kenny Hayda and the others track called Hair Trigger? So Hair Trigger is one of my favorite songs um, from Kenny Hayda and the others. Uh, they're an indie rock band from Texas and just have such an awesome raw uh, sound and personally just love not only the lyrics, but the vocals are just so, so powerful. Um, Definitely listen for the uh, the guitar solo is also one of my favorite parts of the song. Just for the sake of transparency, is this an artist you work with? Yes. Um, so we've been working together for, I believe, three months. Um, so it's been an awesome ride. I've been loving, you know, working with them and uh, definitely recommend go checking out their full album. All right. Yeah, no, I... Um... I co-sign that recommendation. Um, for now, though, uh, thank you so much for listening. This has been Queer Sounds. Uh, if you want to support this show, give us a shout out on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. We're at Queer Sounds Pod on all of those things. If you've got a spare euro, dollar, bot, whatever currency you're using, um like lying around consider sending it uh consider sending it this way we're on patreon uh, dot com slash queer sounds there you can get access to like um our cool little album of the week thing that we do you can get access to discord you can get a bunch of fun stickers you can vandalize your town with um 
so yeah it will be um, a euro and a half well spent um for now though i want to thank Liv for coming on the show i want to thank you again uh for listening here is kenny Hayda and the others track called hair trigger